Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Happy Labor Day weekend. You get an extra day and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe some of you are like, no, I work more on Labor Day. Okay. Because uh, I know if you're in retail, you're in restaurants, whatever the case is, man, it's like, okay, let's go time. But happy Labor Day weekend. Glad you're here. So I wanted to just tag off of what uh, Jeff said a moment ago. He mentioned Northridge Fest. And this is really important. So I, I, want, I want us to hopefully catch this. Um, we don't plan Northridge Fest for the week after Labor Day weekend because we need more things to do, okay? It would, I'm just going to be honest, it would be way easier just to plan a service as normal. We have a normal Sunday, that would be easier, but here's why we do it, okay? We do it because we want the rest of our community who's not here to experience our church and what God is doing here. Not because we think we're better, but because we think God is worth it, okay? Inflatables. It, you're like, well, it's just inflatables, and you're going to be sitting in a dunk tank. Yeah, how many people do you think want to knock me into the water? Let me just, I'll just say that. Yeah, exactly. We've got a hand already. I see that hand. Any more hands so I know who to come after and pray against right now? Okay. But the truth is, we don't do this because we need something else to do. We do this so that you can invite. And so I want to ask you to do three things. Number one, I, I want to ask you to be here next week, okay, for the services and all that kind of stuff. But then we're going to go outside. We're going to have the inflatables. We have the dunk tank. We have all the food, the free food. We have amazing food, amazing stuff. So be here yourself. Good. Second thing, invite some people that are in your life. We don't do this just for our church. I hope that you guys have a blast and you enjoy knocking me in the water. I hope you do. But that's not why we do it. A big reason why we do it is so that you can invite somebody in and say, hey, there's free food and there's inflatables. Oh, yeah, and there's also a service. In fact, I would encourage you, maybe go and pick them up. Maybe even go and drive and say, we'll, you can follow us there. Or we'll meet you in the parking lot. Because you know why one of the biggest reasons people don't come and check out a church is because it is intense intimidating and scary to walk into a place that you don't know. How many of you just love to walk into a place that you don't know? No, you don't. You're scared. You're intimidated, right? This is, now, look, I mean, I'm looking at you guys. You're not that intimidating. But the truth is, people don't know you, and they don't know what we do here, and they're like, it's in a village center. It's so weird anyway. And so people are intimidated until you invite them and say, I'll walk in with you. Oh, man, that's going to just take away that anxiety. So, be here yourself, invite as many people as you can, and then the third thing is, uh, get involved, okay? This is an all-hands-on-deck kind of a thing, and so on the website, we've sent out Northridge News, you can go onto our website, you can check it out there. In fact, I checked it, I don't know, it was a couple of days ago, and we're doing pretty well on our signups, but we could be doing better. And so, what I want to invite you to do is sign up. We made it really easy. You only have, all the slots are 30 minutes. There's one slot that's 45. If you want to do that one, that one's awesome, okay? Uh, but all the other slots are 30 minutes. We're talking half an hour. Do you know how fast it goes? It's like really, really fast, okay? Um, it, it, it goes a little slower when you're sitting on the thing in the dunk tank. I'll just say that. But, uh, but that 30 minutes goes really, really fast. Sign up. Get involved. Help out. We want people to experience our church, and our church is not an event, it's not a Sunday, it's you. When people experience you, they're experiencing our church. That's what we want, okay? So, those are the three things I'll ask. Do that, sign up, get involved, and we're going to have a blast kicking things off for the fall next week at North Ridge Fest. Okay, so I want to introduce you to a concept this morning. This 
is the God box. Now, some of you are probably cringing right now and you're like, oh, I've heard we're not supposed to put God in a box. God's not in the box, okay? And it makes me cringe too. Uh, but uh, in fact, it was hard for me to write the God box on a box. I was like, oh, I just feel a little sacrilegious, you know? But the truth is that the God box is not God. God is not in the box, but this represents something. This God box represents everything that you should give to God in your life, which is, by the way, everything. This represents everything that you need to give, that you need to surrender, that you need to release from your own life to God. Now, if you're wondering how the God box works with that, I'm glad you're curious. I'm not going to tell you yet. We'll get to this at the end. I just want you to think about it. This represents everything that you need to release, that you need to give to God. The God box. All right. So, today we're landing the plane, we're wrapping up, we're finishing. It's the last Sunday for our series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And once again, just to remind everybody, this is the last time I'll say it because it's the last one of our series, everything from this series, the main points, a lot of the ideas, the God box that I just showed you, those things come from this book that was written by Craig Groeschel. Okay? So if you like this stuff, Craig Groeschel gets the credit. If you hate this stuff, Craig Groeschel gets the credit. Okay? I will say this. I've been saying this all this whole series. This book is worth the price just for the last three chapters, which I'm going to cover a tiny, tiny little fraction of. You should get this book. It is worth just for the last three chapters. The other chapters are phenomenal. The last three chapters... It will hit you where it hurts, in a good way. So it's worth it just for the last three chapters, which again, I'm going to hit on a tiny, tiny little fraction today. And so, today, we're going to get into it. All right, let's talk about the brain. We've been talking about the brain a lot in this series, haven't we? We've been talking about lies in your brain, lies that you believe that they're not true, but you believe they're true because your, your brain believes they're true. We've talked about ruts. We've talked about how your thinking gets into a rut and, and you think about this same way and you keep doing these same things because your brain is a rut. And we talked about how to reframe, that we see things through a frame, we see things through a lens. Well, today we're going to take it another step forward, but let me talk about the anatomy of the brain for a minute. So in your brain, you have a lot of different parts to your brain. I have a diagram for this. Uh, you've heard of the cerebellum. You've heard of the cerebrum. You've heard about all these things. Now, these are three other different types of things. We're not going to talk about the hippocampus, okay? Although, honestly, is there not a cooler name for a part of the brain? This is like the hippocampus, right? I don't know about you, but that, I mean, that's just, that's just cool, right? We're not going to talk about that, though, other than the fact that I just brought up the name. That's really cool. Hippocampus, okay? I had to say it one more time. But what we are going to talk about is we're going to talk about the other two parts today. We're going to talk about your amygdala, and we're going to talk about your prefrontal cortex. Okay? Let's talk about the amygdala first. The amygdala is very simply the thing that happens. Let's do in a scenario. Let's say that you lived back in the time when there were saber-toothed tigers and, and woolly mammoths and things like that. And you're out there, you're just gathering food, maybe you're hunting, whatever. And all of a sudden you look up and a woolly mammoth or a saber-toothed tiger is literally running directly at you. Okay? 
You know what the amygdala does? The amygdala is what makes you freak out. It's the thing that lights up. It's the thing that goes, ah, run, and it flushes the amygdala. This is what the amygdala does. It causes your brain to flush your entire body, your whole system, with adrenaline and stress and intensity in a moment. All of a sudden, it's like, and then you're like, ah, and you might scream, and you might run, you might freak out, and all of a sudden, you have this superhuman power, and it's like, whoa, the amygdala does that. It makes you freak out. Makes you panic. Sometimes this is good, right? Like if there's a squirrel that runs across your path, right? And you have to dodge that thing. You're like, oh! you know, kind of do that. Otherwise, you're taking that poor squirrel's life, which some of you would be like, he deserved it. And some of you are like, oh, it's a squirrel. They're so dumb, okay? I can relate because my brain is kind of like a squirrel. Squirrel, right? It's, it's true. But it's good when we maybe, maybe need to do that, but the amygdala is also one of those things that causes you to, ah, it's the fight or flight response in your brain. Fight or flight, like I've got to put up or I've got to run. Let me give you another modern example. Uh, let's say that you're laying in bed, right? And um, you're, you're laying in bed and, and you're about asleep. You're almost asleep, right? This is the moment where you're, you're just, you're almost there. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's like when you're, you're not even aware that you're basically asleep. You're, you're, not, even, you're not really conscious, but you're, you're not quite into sleep yet. You know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden you hear a noise downstairs, but you're not sure if you hear a noise downstairs because you're almost asleep. And you, and you do that. Now some of you already, some of your amygdalas are already firing. You're like, I don't like this. I don't like this example. And some of you are like, Where's he going with this? You're like, you're totally fine. All right? You don't even have to be in the moment. Just me talking about it makes you like, ooh, I'm fired up now. All right? Got to get up, grab the baseball bat, get the thing. You're right? Let's go. Your amygdala, what happens with your amygdala if you hear that noise, at least most of us in the room, all of a sudden your amygdala is firing. It's going, ah, somebody's in the house. Grab your baseball bat. We got to run. We got to jump. We got to do this. Way. I'm not going to ask for how many of you are in here like that, but I'm seeing some of your eyes light up. Some of you are that person. You're just like, ah! your amygdala is a little overactive, okay? Very creative, okay? But that's the one that your amygdala is like, ah, you got to go grab the baseball bat. Somebody's going to kill you, ah! right? Just from a little noise. Now, let me tell you about the other part of your brain. It's called the prefrontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex is your reality part of your brain. It's the level-headed part in this. It's the one that kind of balances out. It completely is the, is the, op is the, opposite, the opposite, opposite side. It balances out the amygdala. Okay? The amygdala is like, ah! Your prefrontal cortex in that same situation says, it's the dumb dog. Stop worrying. The dog ran into the door again. The dog is trying to get food again. You have a dumb dog. Remember. Go back to sleep. Amygdala. No, it's not. Somebody's in. They're going to kill you. You need to jump out the second story window. Don't worry about the glass. Don't worry about anything. Just run for your life. And the prefrontal cortex says, no, dummy. It's a dumb dog. Slow down. You're fine. You need sleep. Go back to sleep. It's fine. Your dog always does this. Remember? Amygdala, panic, 
prefrontal cortex. Reality, settle down. So why is it important that we talk about those two parts of our brain? The amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. Well, here's why. The same way that you would respond to a noise at night or your, our ancestors would respond to a woolly mammoth running at them and going to trample them, the same way that your amygdala fires up and goes, ah, panic, ah, put up and be ready to fight or get ready to run away. The same response that your amygdala fires when you're in danger is the same exact response that you get when you get an unwelcome or unpleasant email at work. It's kind of funny. You never thought about it that way, did you? You get that email from your boss that says they have four more projects for you to do before Monday, and it's Thursday. You know what your amygdala does? I knew I hated my boss. Now I hate him even more. Right? And it's just panic, 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 panic. How am I going to get this done? I'm going to have to work all weekend. The amygdala, same thing when you get a bad grade at school. When you text somebody. Have you ever texted somebody and you get ghosted? Like, hey, we're having a little get-together tomorrow. Wanted to see if you wanted to come. nothing. Next day, nothing. It's almost as if they lost their phone. You know, we all know they got it. We all know they got it. You're being ghosted. We all know you're being ghosted. You know you're being ghosted. And what does it do? It fires the amygdala. And you start panicking. You're like, maybe they hate me now. Maybe, maybe I said something, right? All of a sudden, your amygdala is firing up. You, you're at a party and, and people are over in the corner laughing and they, look, they glance at you when they're laughing and they look back. All of a sudden your amygdala is fine and you're like, maybe they're laughing at me. Right? All of these things. All, how, how many of you love unexpected car expenses? Oh, <laughs> I, got a, I got a groan hum on that one. Oh, mm. That's what I got from many of you. That was awesome. I wasn't prepared for that one. Oh, mm. That's what I got. Yeah, me too. I love that. Love it. No, you know what happens? My amygdala starts firing. I'm like, oh, how much is it going to cost? We got to get it in. When your teenager starts driving, when your teenager starts dating, amygdala, blah. I got to get a gun. (laughs) Maybe my amygdala is different than yours. (laughs) I'm just being honest. At this point, guys are looking at my daughter. I'm like, yeah, I need a lot of guns. Lots of guns. <laughs> you think I'm joking. <laughs> I'm totally not. Dropping off your son or daughter at college for the first time. We've had several families that have done that. Right? Our amygdala goes crazy. It starts panicking. We're like, ah, oh, did we do enough? Did we raise them right? Did we do this? Did we, go, did we give them enough rules? Did we, I don't know. The amygdala starts going crazy. And so we need to understand that this amygdala is throwing us off of life sometimes. And we all respond. We all, by the way, we all have problems in our life. We all have panic. In fact, let me ask you this. What causes you to panic? What causes you to panic? Think about it. 
What fires your amygdala? What gets you going? Because we all have different things, right? We all have different things. If we were on a hike as a family, you know, Laura and I and the three kids, and we're hiking as a family, and we see a snake come across our path, like really close, there's two people in our family that are going to be like, the, the amygdala is going to be firing in an excited way. We're like, yeah, snake, grab it. Let's see what kind it is. And then the other three in our family are like, ah, snake, run for your life. Right? But then if somebody in our family suggests shopping, my amygdala is going, ah, panic, spending money, this is going to be terrible. And some of my family are like, yay, shopping. This is going to be awesome. I'm like, this is going to be the worst day of my life. We all have problems. <laughs> Our amygdala fires up. It just fires up on different things. Some things that you get you going don't get me going. And some things that get me going, they don't bother you at all. But we all have problems. And problems tend to make us panic. Well, let's get to the Bible, right? The Apostle Paul. He had a few problems, didn't he? He ran into a few issues, things that could have caused him to panic. In fact, let me highlight one of those. So give you the context. It's the Apostle Paul and this guy named Silas. They're both faithful followers of Christ, followers of Jesus. And they're in this particular community and they're sharing the good news of Jesus to as many people as they can. And while they're doing this, there's this slave girl. She's literally, when I say slave, she's literally owned by this group of men, okay? And she's running around. She's following Paul and Silas, probably because she realizes that they have something to offer her. And, and so they're running around. They're telling everybody about Jesus. Finally, they turn to this girl, and they pray for her, and they cast out the demonic possession that she has in her body, in her life. They free her from the demonic possession. Now, the reason she was a slave girl, the reason she was owned by these guys, is that because of this demonic possession, she was able to tell people's fortunes. And so now, Paul and Silas, through the power of Jesus, heal her of this demonic possession. It's an amazing thing for the girl. It's beautiful, this beautiful moment. You can read all about this in Acts chapter 16. And in that moment, though, the men who own this girl, they're, they're very angry because they just lost their source of income. Because the demonic possession is what gave her the ability to tell fortunes. By the way, fortune telling a lot of times, I'm just going to tell you, is connected to demonic power. Some of you do it. Some of you dabble and play in it. I would suggest not. Demonic power. By the way, Attach this a little bit to horror movies, also very attached to the evil, occult, demonic powers too. I've walked into a couple of different houses. Man, I'm so far off the notes right now, but I, this is getting really, really important, really practical. I've walked into a couple of houses where they've asked me to come in and pray because some bad things have happened in their house, and then I'll look at their movies, and I see horror movies all lined up there, and I say, you need to get rid of those, first thing. You've invited this into your home. I've, 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 I haven't said that often. I've said that to two different families. I said, first of all, I, I'm gonna, we're going to pray. We're going to go through every, every room in your house. But, but you need to get rid of this. You've invited this in. Be careful what you invite into here. Be careful what you invite into here. I'm just saying. 
A lot of you don't think demonic power is real. Okay, keep messing with it. You'll find, you'll find out what happens. It is very real. Do not mess. Okay, so the Apostle Paul. They cast out this, this slave girl's demonic possession, and so now she doesn't have the ability to fortune tell, and these guys are really, really angry at him. Okay? And so they stir up a mob to catch him. And I want to read for you what happens in that moment. Acts chapter 16, starting verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, let me just ask you this. Would that cause you to panic? It would cause me to panic. I have an amazing wife. I have three kids. I have an incredible church that I absolutely adore and love that I get to work with you guys. I do. I truly do. There's a lot to lose. And if this is happening, I'm thinking this might be my last days. This should cause them to panic, right? So what would Paul and Silas do? They've been severely beaten. They've been stripped naked. And now they're locked in. They put their feet in stocks, which means either they were chains with like handcuff type things that went around their ankles. Or more than maybe even more likely, they had the wood stocks that clamped down on your feet so that you have to sit up constantly. Okay? So we don't know what kind of stocks they were in. It doesn't say, but they were in stocks. Okay? After being severely, uh, they were stripped and severely beaten. Okay? So what do you think Paul and Silas would do? What, what's the first thing do you think that they would do? Well, a few hours into it, this is when I, I want to read for you what they're doing. Acts chapter 16, next verse, 25. Around midnight, so this has been a while now, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? They were stripped naked, severely beaten. Okay, just, just imagine this. I, I want to unpack this because this is, we read these kind of things and they're like, they're severely beaten. Okay, cool. Now, uh, let's, let's understand what happened. They are probably bleeding. More than likely, they have maybe broken bones, maybe even in their face if they hit them in the head, maybe broken noses, maybe some broken ribs. These guys are in really bad shape, like maybe in, even on the edge of death. We don't catch that from the script, but we, you have to read between the lines and understand. They were severely beaten. They didn't just whack them a few times to make a couple of marks. They were severely beaten with wooden rods. Okay? They are in really bad shape. This is emergency room at the hospital kind of stuff. And then they don't, take, they don't take them to the doctor. They don't give them pain meds. They put them in the inner dungeon. They put their feet in stocks. And they're on the edge of death. And they're in the inner dungeon. And they, they have, they're in intense pain. And they have no escape. And what are they doing? They're praying and singing praise to God. Now, if we weren't followers of Jesus, uh, and even me, who is and have been for a long time, you kind of look at that and you go, are they losing it? Are they a little crazy? They're praying and singing while they're in pain and locked in this inner dungeon? Does that make any sense? Well, this brings us to the last principle in Craig Rochelle's book that I want to highlight. 
We've talked about three. I want to give you the last one. And this is the most powerful one, to be honest. It's the most powerful one. It may seem like the least practical one, but it's actually the most powerful one. It might be the one that unlocks the problems that we have here. It's called the rejoice principle. It simply says, revive your soul, reclaim your life. Revive your soul, reclaim your life. What if I were to tell you that the truth is that the greatest, most effective way for you to win the war in your mind, to win the battle for your thought life, what if I was to tell you that the most effective, best thing you could possibly do to win this battle up here is to pray and to praise God? How many of you would be like, I, I got out of bed for this this morning? Some of you are thinking this right now. You're a pastor. You have to say those things. The truth is, it's a true statement. The most effective way for you to change your mentality, your thought life, is to pray and to sing praises or to give praise, give glory and honor to God. Don't believe me? Well, I can't get into this too deep, but in this book... Craig Rochelle gets into this, and he highlights specific, he gives them by name, neurologists, brain specialists who have actually tested this. People, when they pray, when they praise God, when they pray and praise God, when they do those things, you know what happens? Your brain all of a sudden begins to change. It begins to shift how you think. When you pray, when you praise God, all of a sudden your brain starts moving from the problems and it starts shifting to empathy, to compassion, to the parts of our brain where when we have social interaction. All of a sudden your brain starts engaging in a completely different way. And instead of looking at the problems, you start looking at the possibilities. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would just love to see when you look at the problems of life, you, instead of seeing the problems, you love to see the possibilities instead? Man, I would. You know what I tend to see? I can tell you what I tend to see. My wife could tell you that I tend to see this because sometimes I'm like, oh man, we're going to, and I get angry, right? And she's like, it's, it's going to be all right. And I'm like, no, it's not. And here's why. Anybody ever tell people why it's not going to be okay? <laughs> that's, a, that's a telltale sign that you're like, I'm focused on the problems. <laughs> I, I, I really, I'm good at focusing on problems. Sometimes too much. And the truth is that problems will consume us, and the way to get out of that is to pray and to praise. Funny how that works. And your arms and your hands end up like this. Pray and praise. In fact, why does this matter? Because life is full of problems, isn't it? How many of you have gone through life and you've had no problems? Anybody? I just, I want to meet you if, you if you do, so I just want to make sure. Okay, all right, good. We have problems. Your problems are different than my problems. But let's be honest, some of your problems overlap my problems too. 
right? Because some of us, we have the same problems, and then we have a different host of problems that are different from other people. But we all have problems, and what we focus on is what we're going to get. But the truth is that pastors, I'm, I'm one of them that says this, God, Jesus, and neurologists all tell you the way to solve the problems is prayer and praising God. I'll tell you what, when everybody agrees that this changes your brain in a really good way, I think we should listen. <laughs> prayer and praise actually changes your brain, literally. I love what Craig Rochelle says about when we... You know, have you ever had those moments, those days or those weeks where it feels like the, the problems have compounded? Anybody, anybody with me on this? Like there are some days where something, a little thing comes up and I'm like, ugh, it's just an annoyance and then we take care of it and then we move on. But then it feels like there are some of those days and some of those weeks where it's like, you, I, didn't, I haven't solved this problem yet and then there's another and then there's another and then I get a call and then I, th Right? And it's little things, right? It's like the one, there's this one big problem, and then maybe there's another slightly less big problem. And then I get a call from Laura and says, hey, I need you to go pick up, you know, one of your kids because they got sick. Perfect. This is awesome. Right? It's not that I don't love my kids. It's not that I don't want to pick up my child from school when they're sick. Of course we're going to do that. But I'm just like this, and now this, and now that, on top of all days... You had to get sick on this day. Thank you for getting sick on this day. Have you ever wondered that about your children? I have. I'm telling you about all my amygdala issues, right? The truth is, sometimes we get it up to here and we're like, ah, we feel like a volcano. We're like, I'm literally going to explode. I'm going to explode. And sometimes you do. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says this, when you've had enough, God is enough. But do you believe that? Do you believe that? When you've had enough, when you were up to here, God is enough for you. He's all you need. Do you believe that? When you've had enough, God is enough. When, when we have the big P problem, problems, right? The big problems that are all there in our life, we need to remember the other two P's, which is prayer and praise. See, what we tend to do is we just tend to focus on the problem. I'm a solver. I'm a, I'm a fixer. I'm a doer. Any other fixers and doers in there? Right? When, when Laura comes to me and says she wants to share about something, there's a lot of times where I'll be like, well, all you need to do, she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't need you to say anything or fix anything. I just needed you to hear me. Oh, but I have a lot of good ideas of how to fix the problem. <laughs> you didn't catch it. I'm glad we're married. I'm glad I love you. I'm done. <laughs> okay, cool. When problems come up, we need to remember the two Ps, prayer and praise, because it will change the way you think about it. In fact, let me give you another word. When we have problems in our life, we can't forget the presence of Jesus in your life. When problems are there, don't forget the presence. Now, what happens when we pray and what happens when we praise? It changes our brain, but it does more than that. It opens the door for God to do what only He can do. 
Let's go back to Paul and Silas. Remember Paul and Silas? Naked, severely beaten, maybe broken bones, we don't know, potentially on the edge of death. They're locked in stocks in the inner dungeon, and they're singing, and they're praying. And the other, the other prisoners had to think, these guys are crazy. They have it way worse than anybody else in this dungeon. And they're praying, and they're praising God for it. By the way, they're in the dungeon because they were faithful to God, by the way. So what happens? Let me read for you. Next verse, after we hear that they're praying and praising. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. See, that was an amygdala moment, by the way. Notice that? Seriously. It was like, amygdala, you are dead. They're going to kill you for this because all the prisoners are gone. He was going to kill himself. Paul's like, no, 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 stop. We're here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Catch what happens as a result of their prayer and their praising. Catch what happens. Then he, the jailer, brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Is that not amazing? They went from being the two most hated people in the community to being stripped naked, severely beaten, and because none of that, but because they would pray and praise God, the jailer and his entire family accept Christ and get baptized that night, in the middle of the night. I don't know about you, but I've literally never led anybody to Jesus in the middle of the night. I've done it at very convenient times, but not in the middle of the night. This is amazing. And the prisoners all heard this. This is incredible. Let me just ask you this question. What if, hear me on this, what if the way through and the way out of your problems that you're in right now is through prayer and praise? What if it's that simple? What if the way through and the way out of whatever you're facing is through prayer and praise? What if it's that simple? I'm here to tell you, it actually is. And you'd be like, yeah, but you don't know who I'm working with. Doesn't matter. I can honestly say that. It doesn't matter. Because God is enough. He is. He's enough. Period. The truth is, we just have to believe it. We have to put our place, ourselves in a place where we're under God. In fact, I love what Peter says in the book that he wrote in the Bible, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Listen to what he wrote. He says, so humble, put yourself lower under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And then listen to what it says. It says, Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. 
Do you realize that God cares about you? He wants what's best for you. He loves you. Absolutely loves you. He cares for you. So we need to give our cares, our problems, our issues, our problems, all that stuff, we need to give it to God. And by the way, this is Peter who wrote this. Do you remember Peter? He faced a few problems. He had a few tests in his life, didn't you? You remember when he was walking on water and he's out there outside the boat and Jesus is out there with him and, they're doing, and he's doing good. He's like, man, this is awesome. I'm walking on water. Remember, it's in the middle of the night in a storm, wind, waves, rain. Like, this is not like calm water. This is not like a pool, right? This is in the middle of the night, in the middle of a lake, unbelievably intense stuff coming on. They're, the boat was going to swamp. They were scared to death before he ever even got out of the boat. Now he's walking on these waves and this water, and he's doing great, and Jesus is like, yeah, come out to me. This is awesome. And then everything goes wrong when what? What happens? What caused Peter to start going down? What caused him? He started looking at his problems. He's like, wait a minute. I'm in the middle of a lake, and these waves are huge, and the rain and the wind, and like, ah, I can't do this. Amygdala took over, like, save yourself, Paul. Peter, what are you doing? It was at that point that Peter starts to literally, what? Drown. He sinks. Now, our drowning usually isn't physical. But you know what our drowning looks like when we forget the presence of Jesus? Our drowning is emotional, mental, psychological, relational, substance abuse. That's what our drowning looks like. Coping mechanisms. That's what we come up with. We, uh, we treat the symptoms rather than the root cause, which is here. It's a prayer and praise problem, actually. Believe it or not, it is. When we forget the presence of God in our life and start focusing on the problems, then those problems become too big and God becomes small. Remember the God box? You guys were wondering if I was going to get there, didn't you? You're like, are we ever going to get back to the God box? You're hoping like I didn't run out of time or something, you know, because <laughs> I have these little offshoots that I go on to. And you're like, I don't know, too many rabbit trails. We're not going to get back to the God box. What causes you to panic? What causes you issues? What causes you to forget about God? What causes you to abandon God? What causes you to kind of give up, give in? So. The God box is very simply this. It's a brilliant, very simple illustration, but it's also very practical. Craig Rochelle suggests this, that you make a God box for yourself. I literally made this last night. Okay? I found a shoe box, and I wrote the God box on it. It was really difficult. Okay? But you just, I just found a box, called it the God box. Okay? Now, what do you do with this? Here's what you would do with this. And I would suggest, I would encourage some of you, this would be really good for you. It would be good for me. The God box simply represents everything that you're supposed to be or are or need to be giving and surrendering to God. Right? 
And so the God box is very simply what you do is maybe you take a piece of paper like this. Okay? And you write whatever problem you're facing. The thing that just keeps coming up. You can't defeat it. It's worthlessness. It's addiction. It's whatever it is. And you write it down. You write that problem on this piece of paper. Okay? And then what you do is you're going to take this and you're going to put it in the God box. Now, uh, I actually did this. I have many problems. I have several slips of paper in case I got crazy today. But I wrote one of mine on there. One, this one says control perfectionism. I had to make sure that that's what I wrote. Control perfectionism. That's a little bit of an issue in my life. I'm just telling you. I was just talking to Jeff right before the service. I'm like, man, I could overcook a sermon with the best of them. Right? I could spend hours on it, and then I could spend more hours on it, and then I'm like, man, I could probably do it. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. I could probably do more. Ah, I need like five more illustrations. I overcook a sermon all the time if I really try because I'm a control freak. It's true. Here's the issue with control. If I'm controlling everything, then I'm not trusting God. Isn't that true? That's true. If I'm controlling everything, I'm not trusting God. Now, it's okay that I'm a detailed person. I'm okay that it's like we need to do things well. We need to do the excellent, right? That's why you, when you walk in the screens, I had one of these issues with the, this projector right here of the devil, this projector. I'm glad we use it for worship, but of the devil this morning, right? Because I turned it on. I literally, you know what I had to literally do? I had to go in and I had to go back to factory settings reset. Pastor Nick knows. He was standing right next to me, right? You can vouch for me. I went and I hit factory reset because I was like, unbelievable, this projector is so far off. Driving me nuts. I was at that projector for about 15 minutes this morning. Devil projector. I feel like Jesus when he said that against the tree, right? Shrivel up and die. Feel that way toward that projector. You're okay. Okay? Because I'm a control freak, right? This is a problem. And so I've got to release this. Trust me, I do this a lot. Maybe not daily, but pretty close. And I have to pray and I have to ask God, help me to get rid of my control issues. Because if I'm, not, if I'm controlling things, I'm not trusting you. And so what you do is you, you write it on the piece of paper so it's real. If you don't write it down, it's not going to be that real to you. It's not. Write it down so you can actually see it. Do you, you know how much I loved writing this down? Hated it. In fact, I almost didn't do it. I told God, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Because if I write it down, then they're going to they're gonna know it's actually real. If I, talk, if I just talk about it, it'll be... And it's like, write it on the paper, Bickle. I don't know if God says bickle, but you know, you understand what I'm saying. You pray about it. God, help me to be free of this control problem. And then you stick it in the God box. Right? And it goes in the God box. Because why? Because I'm surrendering it to God. It's not my problem. It's not my issue. I want to give it to God. It's not that it's God's problem. He doesn't suffer from that. But he takes it because he's good enough. He's big enough. I speak Jesus into my life over this problem, and I move on. Now, some of you say, that's silly. Why would I make a God box? Why would I do this? Here's why. This is probably the most powerful part of it, okay? Catch this. This is what struck me when I read about this in the book. That's not the most powerful part. 
okay? After you've surrendered a bunch of things, let's say, for example, let me do a hypothetical. Let's say that your problem is worrying about money. If I asked everybody to get honest, I'm not going to do it, but if I asked everybody to get honest, how many of you actually panic and worry a lot about money? I'll bet a lot of hands would be up, if we're being honest. Mine would be up too. It's one of the things that I also deal with. I didn't write it down because I felt that was a safer one. Felt like that was a lot of people in the room. I knew the control one was a little bit more deeply seated, and I needed to share that one. So let's say that yours is money. You panic about money. That's your thing. That's your one. That's your big one. Okay? And then uh, you, you write it down. You write money on there, and you pray about it. You surrender it. You put it in the God box. And then a few weeks later, all of a sudden, you get word. Your, your car breaks down on the side of the highway. You have it towed, and the mechanic tells you, you need a brand new transmission. It's going to cost a few thousand dollars. How many of you are like, woo, prayer and praise? Here's what I want you to do in that moment. If you do the God box, this is what you would do in that moment. You would take that money slip of paper, you'd pull it back out of the God box, and then this is what you would tell God. You would pray to God and you would say this, God, I don't trust you with this. I'm going to take it back from you. It's my problem. Some of you would be like, that doesn't sound like a good prayer. You're right, it's not a good prayer because it's not what you should do. But let me, can I be honest with you? If you're still worrying and fretting and consumed by your problems, that's exactly what you're doing every single day. Every day. You're taking that slip of paper back out and saying, God, I didn't really give it to you. I, I actually don't trust you, and I don't want you to have it. I'm going to worry about it still some more. No. It's in. It's gone. It's done. God box. It's yours. Surrender. Release it. Prayer and praise. Otherwise, you're going to be consumed by your problems. Do you want God to change your thinking so he can change your life? Revive your soul? Reclaim your life? My suggestion to you is very simply this. Speak Jesus. Prayer and praise. Give it to God. And see what he can do with your problems. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the truth is that you know I struggle with this one. I have a strong sense that a lot of us in this room and online that are watching or listening struggle with this. We take problems back from you all the time and we are literally saying by doing that God I don't trust you I, I want to handle this I want to try to solve this on my own and yet we have people 
more than ever in our world that are dealing with mental health. It's a mental health crisis. We have people that are dealing with addictions, mostly hidden, because they don't want anybody else to know how much they're suffering. We have physical pain and mental pain and emotional pain and psychological pain. And, and people are dealing with this. And, and the solution, the, the key, the thing that's going to unlock everything and, and give them the freedom that they need is prayer and praise. To, to simply give it to you. To speak your name, your power over that problem and release it. I pray that we would be a church, a people, a group that release problems to you instead of trying to work harder to solve them all the time. We're all going to have problems, God. Help us to surrender them to you. Give them to you. And then release them for good. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. So as we sing this next, this last song, May we praise you. May this be our prayer and our praise together as one. This one song, may it be prayer and praise to you. Prayer and praise because it can take away, it can diminish the problems that we have. So in this moment, as we sing, I pray that people would be praying. I pray that people would be singing. I pray that our prayer and our praise would release us from the issues and the things that we're facing today. Whatever the heaviness is that we brought in, that we'd release it. Help us to speak your name over it in this moment. We pray this and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.